Welcome to the Northwestern Masters of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm your host, Bryce Clinton. It's a really exciting show this week, and I was incredibly fortunate to have a conversation with Sarah Spain. Sarah is an Emmy and Peabody Award-winning sports journalist. You may know her from her national ESPN radio show, Spain and Fitz, from her podcast, That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, from her work as an ESPNW columnist, as a regular panelist on shows like Around the Horn and Highly Questionable, and as a frequent contributor to shows like Outside the Lines and SportsCenter. Along with all that work in sports media, Sarah recently became a co-owner of the Chicago Red Stars in the National Women's Soccer League. It was great to be able to speak with Sarah and hear how she really got to this point, some really interesting tidbits about her early career and how she got started in sports, and not only how she got started, but how she just carried through many of the things that she learned while she was getting started to the career that she has today. We, again, are incredibly fortunate to have Sarah uh, with us on the show, and I hope that everyone enjoys this wide-ranging conversation with Sarah Spain. Welcome to Northwestern, Master of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Clinton, and today for our listeners, we have a really exciting show, especially if you are a Chicago sports fan, and because we're joined by Sarah Spain. Sarah is an Emmy and Peabody Award-winning journalist. You know her from her work on her national ESPN radio show, Spain Fits, her podcast, that's what she said, with Sarah Spain, from her work on, on ESPNW uh, as a columnist, as a regular panelist on shows like Around the Horn and Highly Questionable, frequent contributor to ESPN shows like Outside the Lines and Sports Center, and along with that extensive media work, Sarah is also a co-owner of the Chicago Red Stars of the National Women's Soccer League. Damn, Sarah, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they keep me busy, huh? <laughs> when do you find time to do anything for you? Uh, working on it. <laughs> that's good. You know, what's interesting is that it, to think of Chicago sports, and if you're a Chicago sports fan, it, you have become, in a lot of ways, a quintessential Chicago sports fan and are very identified with Chicago sports. How did you get to that spot? Yeah, it's funny, too, because now almost all the work I do for ESPN is national, but I'm clinging to being able to still talk about my teams and be an, uh, sort of synonymous with them because it matters to me. And it's so different than in the old days when you were supposed to pretend to not care about any teams or players. Um, now that really is only necessary for beat reporters or people who are reporting in a capacity of of breaking news where needing to trust that there is absolutely nothing changing the way that they report uh, facts is really important in my job, which is as a opinion giving gas bag, uh, the <laughs> authenticity and, and the genuine nature of knowing that I'm passionate about the things I'm talking about, as long as I'm still being fair and accurate is part of the draw and appeal, especially with so many options now in the sports world. You know, I think people do want to still believe that the people that get, get paid to talk about sports like them and watch them and care about them. Um, so that distance is not really as as desired. Um, as far as the 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 work, you know, I, I I left college, moved back to Chicago for a little bit, and then I moved out to L.A. to try to do comedy Saturday Night Live and um, Second City Improv Conservatory. Went through the whole thing with the goal of of doing comedy and acting, took some acting classes and hosted a fake Chicago bear show in a hosting boot camp weekend class. And the teacher said, Oh, you want to work at sports? And I was, eh, there's no women in sports. And the few that are doing it are either very serious anchors on sports center or their sport, you know, sideline reporters, very bubbly and beautiful. And I want to be funny. I want to be satirical. And, um, the teacher just said, it seems very natural if you want to look into it. So that I'll, I'll just take a class at UCLA, 
uh, extension in sports reporting, TV sports reporting. And all of a sudden, my English major, the fact that I was a D1 athlete, my obsession with sports, my, you know, interviewing and, and listening and all the yes anding of, of, uh, of improv all starts to come into play. And I thought, oh, I'll give this a shot. And then it just kind of felt so natural. And I realized maybe it was something I should have been looking into all along. It's a really interesting confluence of things, right? And I think you make a good point around personalities now from a sports perspective. It's almost the flip of one of those facts and those things all the time. I think that a lot of the the sports personalities that you connect with have a slant, have a, a team mm-hmm. that they want to root for and have a, you know, an opinion behind those. And I think it's been a really interesting shift in that. Yeah. I mean, for me, I still care, even if I'm not often wearing the journalism with a capital J hat, I still do wear that particularly on very serious issues or if I'm reporting um, on things where, you know, every little detail in fact matters. Um, but even when I'm not wearing my proverbial hat, it still, it matters to me to be accountable. And so I'm never going to make the $10 million a year for screaming about things and then changing my mind a week later and screaming about something else. That's the complete opposite with no, you know, looking back at what I said before, I'll save that for some other people. That's more of their wheelhouse. But I think there is a happy medium between the distant sort of apathetic approach of I'm just a journalist and the over the top. I think, um, again, I always felt, especially when I was coming up in the business and I looked at people who were very successful, I connected to the ones who still seemed like they loved it. And when I hear people in the business say, well, if you're in it for too long, you know, it just kind of take, you just don't look at it the same way and the hardest different. I don't want to be like that. I certainly look at it differently. Absolutely. Predominantly in the way that I view opponents of my teams. I give them much, much more grace. I end up rooting for a lot of them because a lot of them are very fun to watch and they're great people. And I don't need to hate them for no good reason, just because they're where the, <laughs> where the other Jersey, um, but it hasn't taken the passion out of it for me. I think that's kind of sad when people do this for a living and aren't moved by it anymore. For sure. And in any, you know, sort of any field yeah. that you do, right. If you take it out and it's drudgery, but I, I think it does come through, especially in your podcast, right. I think it, you say at the beginning of your podcast, it's a podcast where I talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I think that's gotta be pretty nice and pretty liberating. It's been cool to see that podcast and, the, and some of the guests that you've had as of late, because you got to talk about really interesting things and, and different sort of guests that, you know, wouldn't be right down that sort of traditional jer- capital J journalism sports in the here's reading the facts and so on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I was actually benefited by the fact that I didn't figure out what I wanted to do until later, because when I moved to LA, I did a bunch of other stuff. I, I took, you know, improv and comedy and I wrote for my school newspaper and I worked in PR and I did all these things and had all these experiences that I bring to the table now that I think are more interesting than someone who grew up listening to sports radio and then just pursued that for their life, but doesn't know anything about books or music or culture or anything else. Um, I think it makes me more well-rounded. And I think on the podcast, I get to scratch a lot of the issues that I miss because of the path I've chosen. I mean, on around the horn, I get to do the Halloween episode every year and I get to be in full costume with like practicing and using different accents. And sometimes my, my co-host on my radio show, he's uh, was a musician uh, with the band Perry for years. And so we create parody songs and we, we bring music into it. So I think getting to do all those things that I love outside of straight sports makes me feel a little less one note 
even though I do have to spend so much of my time keeping up with the latest news and everything going on in the sports world. Which is really cool. I mean, I think it's a, it's a cool pairing too. He's such a talented guy. Yeah. Um, you used to see him more on, historically speaking, he'd be on Mike and Mike. Sometimes he would yeah. fill in for, and such a talented guy with, with the music background, but then it, it almost makes it more interesting hearing these sports takes from them because they have a different background, but mm-hmm. then have such a wide knowledge of that. So it's a cool, con, it's a cool convergence of those things. Well, and I found that part of the reason we work so well together for both interested in the same parts of sports, we don't really care about doing a lot of the sort of hacky old school radio, like who's the Mount Rushmore of whatever. And could this team beat this? I call it hypothetical radio. Sometimes Mm. it's okay. But for me, I don't want to spend a lot of time with the what if based on something that hasn't actually happened. Like, I don't want to spend an hour talking about if this happened where the Bears signed Russ Wilson, because I don't think it's going to happen. And now we've spent an hour on that instead of an hour on things that are already happening that I think are meatier and more interesting. And he feels the same way, which is great. That is great. And my wife today called it Russell Simmons, which oh, was good. really funny. That would um, be an interesting you know. signing. Yeah. <laughs> I said it might be, it might work out might the same be better. anyway. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> so, could be more interesting. Um, you know, life now, it's almost funny because we've been sitting in this situation for a year and, you know, you and I are sitting here talking like this, this is how we have most conversations in life these days. It's funny because it's almost saying the words is almost going like Voldemort for me. Like I don't want to say it, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but how has it changed your life? Like how are things so, I mean, obviously sports, we saw there was a lot of great think pieces and stuff about around the year anniversary of these things. And I do think sports, it kind of was that culmination of this is serious and we're going to Mm -hmm. shut things down for people. But in that year, how has life really changed for you? I think more so than teaching me big lessons, like it did for many other people, it reaffirmed things I already knew about myself, but didn't have to wonder. One of those is um, I'm not a great relaxer. Um, but I occasionally would wonder, should I relax more? Like I go really hard in work and then I go really hard with like my social life. Like I'm always planning friends to go to a concert or like, let's try this new restaurant or let's do, hey, take a road trip. Like I'm constantly planning. I'm always filling my day with things. And if it's not work, which is a lot of it, then I want to fill my days with seeing all the people I care about. So I was always like, I wonder if I should just spend more time, like just sitting around every once in a while and just like, and I did more of that. And the answer is no, that's not really my jam. Um, Every once in a while, I do need a good just like couch day. But for the most part, that's not what fulfills me. and makes me feel good. Um, I also always knew I was a control freak. This was a massive uh, reminder of that because so much was out of our control, whether that was not having things scheduled for months at a time, which was very strange for me to not knowing when things would come back to what they might look like the next week. That was, I think, the toughest for me. Um, And that's why I actually just took a quick little week in Arizona. It was the first time I got on a plane and did anything in so long. And I needed it early January when it was like weeks of freezing temperature. I haven't been doing any indoor dining. I haven't seen anyone inside. The only time for me to see anyone other than my husband or my makeup person for around the horn is outside. And it was so cold that it was you know, weeks of nothing. And I needed to put something on the calendar to look forward to because I could feel it kind of of weighing on me. So I think it just reaffirmed things I knew about myself. And, um, and a lot of the stuff that I've been preaching for to myself and others for years about gratitude and always finding a way to pivot whatever's going on into something you can learn from it and take from it and grow from instead of dwelling too much in it, because, um, there's too much, there's too much 
to think about. There's too much sadness. There's too much tragedy, too much darkness. And you got to find ways out of it because it doesn't actually help you to sit in it all day. You need to sit in it enough to, to care and not to escape it and not to pretend like it's not happening. You need to help other people through it, but you also just can't like, like doom scroll, <laughs> right. And just, yes. and just spend all day reminding yourself of how awful everything is. Cause it doesn't get any better when you do that. No, it doesn't. And and you're right. I do. I sit in this walk-in closet that I work in now, which again, I think that it's a good point to make of thinking about being fortunate around those things, because much like yourself, I had the ability to work and do these things, but I think you brought up a really good word around pivot, right? You have to pivot around some of these things and be able to see what you can do from them. I've learned a lot about myself. And like you said, we are here from, the, from, you know, many of the listeners see that meme now that from, we are in third winter or close yes. approaching third winter here in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, we, had, we had pretend spring and now we're at third winter, <laughs> but I think we're going to get out of it soon. And, and you're right. Like being able to get outside and, and to see people, I'm the same way. I haven't really done much of anything besides being outside. And hopefully we're, we're turning the corner on that. We are you know, going to have baseball um, and be able to be in person for that. And I think that, as I said, like I have a two-year-old son, I would love to be able to take him to a baseball game in a safe way. But I think it sports really, we saw how sports really was weaved in the fabric of this country, not even just for people like us or our listeners that really love sports, but the casual fan too. I think they missed it and it's going to be really good to have them back in a, in a more interesting, safe way. I agree with that for the most part, although I will say my former colleague Jamel Hill wrote an interesting story for The Atlantic about all the ratings going down and how sometimes we think of sports as this savior. And a lot of that is mythology that we tell ourselves to allow that cognitive dissonance of maybe knowing we shouldn't be playing it or prioritizing it. Um, I think for some of us, especially in the business, it's a massive part of our lives and who we are. And it does signal normalcy. When I was out in Arizona last week, I did go to two baseball games and I felt super safe. They actually zip tied the seats that aren't sold. So mm. there's no way to violate the sort of little pods that you're in. You can't go stop by and sit down next to a friend for a bit because it's it's literally closed up, which I really appreciated. It, fe it felt like a safe place to just be outside, like the same as being in a park where you're distanced from other people. And um, but I do think that. There's a lot of ways to continue to look at sports realistically and honestly, where they aren't fixing everything. In fact, they're contributing to a lot of things, and that includes enabling damaging and criminal behaviors, especially at collegiate and professional levels where it benefits coaches or schools to brush things under the rug um, and sort of some cultish views about things and ways of reinforcing traditions that exist solely because, well, this is the way we've always done it. And when we try to reframe them, people push back. So I, I owe most of my life to being an athlete and how it made me become who I am and my job and I love it. And I do think there's so much to be gathered, but we have to worry about how we build things up and try to ignore their faults because then we keep the faults thriving. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's a, it's a good point around, again, back to the word you said around pivoting, right? It, it's a good time for sports as a whole to be able to, to look at some of those things because mm -hmm. one, how they present themselves not only from a, a fan perspective, but what's important to them. And I think that we've seen some of that, but there's a, there's a long way to go mm -hmm. for many of them overall. Yeah. It's a great time in general when we had to put everything on hold and George Floyd happened, it became very clear that we were a captive audience 
the likes of which we'd never seen before. We couldn't run off to work or a concert or a trip. We all were forced to really reckon with what our country's history and present is. And I think that that's useful in terms of everything, whether that's climate change, relationships with your family and friends, who you are as a person and your health. I know a lot of people who reevaluated their health because of this. Anytime you have a massive change. And what's interesting is I'm a really big fan of like books about habits Mm -hmm. um, because there are certain habits that I am aware of in myself that I want to change. And it's not that I don't have the discipline to change them. It's that my life is busy. And then I'll realize two weeks later, I stopped taking the vitamins again. Like, why can't I just remember? It's not difficult. It takes two seconds. So I like to read these books that tell you like pair things. Like every time you brush your teeth, put your toothbrush under the vitamins. And then you always are going to grab your toothbrush. How many times you need to do things before they become natural that you don't think about them, all that stuff. And one of the things that often in habit books, uh, they say, that allows people to make a drastic change is an epiphany moment. And usually those cannot be inorganically created. You can't make yourself react to someone's passing away or react to a heart attack or react to a realization when you step on the scale that you wait. Like you can't make those, they come, they arrive and then bang, you suddenly say, I'm never doing this again, or I'm going to start doing that. This whole pandemic for a lot of people, I think, shook up people's lives and could be used as a really meaningful epiphany moment if we choose to do that instead of only looking at the ways that it restricted what we do. I think instead look around and say, what have I started doing differently that's good or bad or what could I use this moment to do instead of watching the office for the 8,000th time, which is fine if that's what you want to do. That's fine too. If that's what you're into, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're right though, in the sense that I think a lot of people often look at what we've been restricted from doing and and the flip of that is what what can come out of this. You and I were talking before we got recording around, it'd be really interesting to see as sports start to come back, sort of the hybrid, the in-between space of, hey, it, it's probably not going to be. And it's really cool to hear that you had that experience of it feeling safe, right? Mm-hmm. I have no, no concept of yeah. what it's going to be, but it's great to hear that. And so it'll be interesting, interesting to see how that sort of in-between space works. Yeah. I, I'll say one thing that I found from my little vacation where my, my couple friends that came with me and my husband, we rented a house. And so we all kind of quarantined long enough to test and then quarantined long enough after the test before we flew so that we all felt like we could be in the house together. At first I was going to have everyone wear masks in the house and just hang out outside. Then I was like, let's test so that we can all just spend the time together. And it was so nice how normal it was instantly for something that hasn't been normal for so long for me. I've been super strict. So I haven't been inside a house eating food with anyone other than my husband or my two parents in like a year. Uh, I haven't gone to a restaurant, all that stuff. And so um, you think, oh, it's going to be so weird. And I think for some people it will be. I think people who have social anxiety, people who already struggle with certain things, they're going to have trouble getting back into the rhythm. Um, For me, it felt surprisingly normal to just go to a baseball game. And like, yeah, I had my mask on when I wasn't eating or drinking. And I had my mask going to the bathroom and, and concessions. And I still stayed away from people. But it wasn't depressing in any way that there were fewer people. It was nice. There weren't as many lines. It wasn't um, frustrating to have to wear a mask. Instead, it was just this joyful, like, oh, my gosh, I'm at a baseball game. I'm watching, you know, I'm outside. It's nice out, all that stuff. I mean, I think that 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 joy is one thing that that a lot of us are looking for, you know, especially around that. It is is cool to see. And I'm excited for, you know, as, as you mentioned, great 
time for sports to pivot and look at things, but also from a hope perspective from all of us that have been doing these things as we've right. talked about to see that that some level of light at the end of the tunnel to be able to go and, and view sports and, and those things. So, you know, a, a lot of our listeners there are people that that work in the sports industry today or you know tangentially touch the sports industry or looking to get into it. And you had you had a really interesting story. And I I'm sure a lot of our listeners didn't know some of the improv pieces and so on. But as you talk about that, it, it makes a lot of sense of those things are really weaved into what you do today. And so, you know, building on that, if there's those listeners that are looking to get into sports and and sort of how they can, it's a hard, it's a small and hard industry right. to break into, but you know, are there any thoughts around how someone can kind of make it differentiate themselves in that way? Yeah. My advice tends to be um, the same kind of big pillars, which is um, don't close any doors because you're so certain of the, of the role that you want or the part of the world that you want to be in, because you might be wrong in the everyday practical aspect of it. I always thought at first I wanted to do like HBO real sports and do long form storytelling. I still would love that. But when I've done that for ESPN, I've enjoyed it. And then also really liked going back to something like, like radio that's extemporaneous and immediate. You spend an hour or so prepping for the radio show. And then you have three hours of actual content where you're interacting with the listener versus months working on a piece that you're interviewing and writing and going back and forth and flying to meet people. And by the time you have that finished product, it's exactly how you wanted it, which is very validating for the long form stuff. But you also spent a really long time solo before you actually got to interact with the public on it. Radio is the opposite. It's not going to be as polished. It's probably not exactly what you wanted to say, but so much more of it is shared and interactive with your co-host and the listeners. And so I like all of the things and I balance them all. I like writing and then I get lonely and then, and then I'm happy to go do around the horn and mess around with those guys. And, but then I'm on a time crunch in around the horn and I only have so long to answer the questions. So then I like to go to radio where there's a little bit more time to spread out and think about things. So um, they all play different roles. And I think that's specific to media, but it's a great message for anything else as well. Like if you want to be an agent and then you realize that an agent is just representing the work of someone else, which is totally a lot of people's wheelhouse, but also for some other people. No, I want to create something. Okay, well, now you want to be a creator. Do you want to produce? Do you want to? And all those experiences um, and keeping all those doors open, I think, is really key for people to actually understand what, they, what they're good at and what they like instead of having this like very narrow path and idea that could get disrupted. And then I think finding your strengths. There are so many people who want these jobs. Trying to be the next anyone is fine if you're just using what they're modeling as examples of how you want to do things and why and, and how they're successful at it. If you, um, I, I'm just going to point out that you're removing your dog from the room and the dog messed up the green screen, which is really funny because I had to let my dog into my room halfway through the interview when I put it on mute because they have no boundaries anymore because we've been home they for so long don't. that he just doesn't take no for an answer anymore. He used to come <laughs> no. and punch the door when I was doing radio and then he would give up and now he does not give up. So my only option is to let him in. And then he barks during my show. Um, Which anyway, is how much harder for you than, than yeah, it is me. <laughs> yeah. Well, usually I'm like, please don't be during a very serious segment. And then I'll be like, Fletch says he's into this. Um, and I have three of them. So at any given moment, mm -hmm. he's the only one that's spoiled enough to not take no for an answer. Um, but yeah, I, I think, um, for instance, I always led with my sense of humor and my natural sort of 
um, brashness and my really, I think, good listening and interview skills. That's what I was good at. That's what I led with. Other people are great with statistics or really good at tracking down sources or for whatever it is, um, lean into that and really let people see that right off the bat, because otherwise you can't get lost in the whole mess of other people. And I think professionalism matters a ton but so many people are trying so hard, especially when they're young to like be perfectly polished and like, what do I say? And how do I do this? And instead, if they would just relax and be authentic and be comfortable and confident in themselves, that's going to get you a million times farther than whether you like have the right, like suit and briefcase and said the right word. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think it's a really good point around the sense of we so many times we get so singularly focused on, I want to do, I want to be an athletic director. I want to be an agent. I want to be a general manager. And there's so many facets to those jobs, right? All the things that you've talked about that, that you touch in lots of ways from a media perspective, those things exist in, in all other jobs too. Right. And I think that, as you said, being able to, to see and do some of those things and open to them is really helpful. Yeah. For sure. So one thing you and I share is I'm a, f- a huge fan of the show, Ted Lasso. Yes. And partly because I lived in the UK for a long time. Um, oh, nice. And and as someone, I was not a, a football fan, soccer fan when I moved there. But to me, it felt like college football, like mm-hmm. going to, and so the I went to a lot of Fulham. and everything, yeah. Exactly. And so I went to a lot of Fulham games. And so very into that show. You have another reason to be into that show because uh, you are now, a, you know, a part owner of, of the Chicago Red Stars. Um and can you tell us a little bit more about that and, and how yeah. you got into that? And, and I mean, it's an exciting thing overall. Yeah. And now I'm trying to combine the two because some of the gals from the team that I tried to talk to about Ted Lasso said that we don't have subscriptions, so we can't watch it. I'm like, okay, I think one of my first roles as owner must be to get them subscriptions because everyone needs to be on board with Ted Lasso. Like we need them to be inspired. Um, to make a sort of long story short, Abby Wambach was at the ESPYs, got honored alongside Peyton Manning and Kobe Bryant as they all retired the same year. She felt incredibly honored to be with them. But then as she walked off the stage, she realized, okay, these guys are set financially, status, sponsors, everything. They can figure out whatever they want to do for the rest of their lives or never do anything. And I have to start over. I have to find an entirely new career. And I've spent just as much time, blood, sweat, tears, passion at what I do. And I'm just as good. I had the greatest goal scorer ever in men's and women's soccer who now has to start completely fresh. And she told that story at a Time's Up luncheon. Natalie Portman's one of the co-founders of Time's Up. And she started to think about all the ways that it mirrored the entertainment industry where women just can't get the agency and capital to run things the same way that men do. And then they're at the whims of anything from harassment to bad practices to lack of investment to lack of interest, all that stuff, because we've been following the same model forever. And Abby in her book, Wolfpack, said, if you don't get offered a seat at the table, maybe screw the table and build your own table. And that's what the Angel City Expansion Group in the NWSL looked like. They start play next year, but they announced um, last year. And now it's 60 plus and it's Alexis Ohanian and Serena Williams and Natalie Portman and Jennifer Garner and Billie Jean King and all these people, Mia Hamm, Julie Foudy, Abby and, and her wife, Glennon. Um, and everybody kind of stopped and said, wait, oh, ownership can be a whole bunch of people all invested in something that put their money in instead of one Jerry Jones type guy with like a James Bond yacht. 
and a monocle and a top hat, right? It just hadn't felt like it was open to people who weren't billionaires before. And so I had been a fan of the Red Stars. They had done a Sarah Spain bobblehead day a couple of years ago. I had thrown a party there independent of the team just because I liked going and I thought more people in Chicago should check it out. So I said, all right, everybody come two hours early. I got your beer. I got your pizza. I got your Malort. You buy your game ticket. Let's all like have a party. And then you guys can see how cool this, this product is and talk to the owner a bunch at that tailgate that I threw, interviewed him for another story. So we had a working relationship um, where he knew who I was and knew that I was a fan of the team so that when it felt like the NWSL ownership was changing, he said, I would like some help, right? I've been at this Red Stars with the oldest and winningest. He already survived one uh, league cl- uh, closing and, and the NWSL arising from it as a new iteration. So when he decided to do a capital rage raise, um, I came up on, on his radar and he reached out to me and I was like, what I've been manifesting this. I've been telling everyone I want to own this. I want to be a part of this. So, um, very cool. Yeah, it really is. I mean, really cool. Especially you talk about the ownership piece. I think a lot of people see that the same way, right? It is a, a club that, that most people aren't going to have the ability to get into. It's not seen as something that, Hey, we can invest in and, and not only invest in owning a team, but something that you're, really passionate about right to be able to to have one enjoyable right the, the competition but the opportunities that are there and so on so it's it's really cool that that and so for for the listeners season starts when and, and those things and yeah and let us know how we can get involved and see them so the the challenge cup which was last year's sole major um, competition because of covid uh, is now the preseason for this year so the challenge cup starts in April, April 9th for the Red Stars. Um, and I don't believe the stadium will be open yet to fans. There'll be a select number of people that are related to the team in there, but the regular season will be at whatever percentage. We'll find that out when we get closer. That's going to be in May. The full schedule for the regular season hasn't been released yet, but middle to end of May is when the regular season starts. It is an Olympic year, so there will be those U.S. Women's National Team players that leave and play the Olympics concurrently to the NWSL schedule and then come back to their teams for the end. Um, What's really cool about the NWSL right now is last year, you know, we talked about people's habits changing. A lot of the traditional and uh, generational longtime men's sports saw massive dips in ratings, in part because people had to go looking for them and they were so used to them being omnipresent. They were like, wait, when's the Masters? What NBA finals is in whatever? And across the board, ratings went down. The two that went up were the WNBA and the NWSL. NWSL 400% ratings increased with a deal with CBS and Twitch. And what it was is that people were so open to new things and out of their regular habits of go to the office, come home, crack a beer, watch the NBA, go to whatever, that they gave them a shot. And then they were like, this is great. So the NWSL and WNBA got these massive ratings pushes that hopefully will carry over to this year now that there's more people aware and watching and seeing the product. Um, and so that's the hope this year that we build off that with the Challenge Cup first as the preseason and then the regular season um, as well. And then there's um, expansion teams that start this season and then next year um, that I think are just going to add that that interest to, you know, Naomi Osaka's in on the NC Courage, Chelsea Clinton, Jenna Bush Hager, Tom Daschle, a bunch of people in tech are in the Washington spirit. Patrick Mahomes' fiance is a co-owner of the KC team. And then, of course, Angel City and the Red Stars. So a lot of new hopefully eyeballs and interest from all those different new owners and investors. And I think what you, you mentioned, one thing around that is the intentionality, right? Those fans want to come out and they know, you know, we love NBA or the NFL or may have lost some viewers because it is omnipresent and 
they had to seek it out. Fans of certain sports are, are very intentional around it and still go and, and seek those things out. I haven't thought of a name for the trophy. I heard you. <laughs> and so I was if, like the lasso. Um, yeah. Um, no, I think there were some good ideas that seemed too too contemporary. Like you always think of it being named after someone long after, or at least a, a, a fair distance after they played. So you couldn't do it for anyone who's playing right now, but it could be the Mia or it could be, you know, the, the, the Wombach or the um, Sinclair for those who are big fans of Canadian. Uh, so it could be named after a player, even those feel too recent. So maybe down the road, I think for now you do uh, something like I was joking about on my podcast, something having to do with a, with a goddess of something or. That could certainly work. And I mean, there's a lot of great ones to pick from, right? I mean, yeah. you mentioned a few and I was, I was fortunate recently in a virtual setting to, to hear Abby speak. And, and she talked about a lot of the things you talked about. She's a wonderful speaker and, and has a really great message. And, yeah. you know, Sarah, we appreciate you have a great message too. And I think our Thanks. listeners, it was, it was really great in the sense that, you know, a lot of those things around being open to figuring out what, you know, using those skills and those talents is really helpful, you know, for all those listeners that are trying to figure out that path and, and where they could be. And, you know, we really appreciate that and, and are looking forward to when, when we can get out and into the stadium and, and yeah. you know, enjoying some soccer live. But thank I want to say Sarah. like around April 22nd or 23rd is probably going to be around the first home game for red stars that everyone could go to. So if you follow any of my social media at Sarah Spain on Twitter at Spain, two, three, two, three on Instagram, I will be plastering everything with the date when it comes out and the party that we're going to throw to get everyone out there. So it should be fun. We'll be all looking forward to that. I certainly am. So Sarah, thank you so much for your time today. And we really appreciate everything. Thanks for having me.